0: Out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Uh, it said 5 and 6, but I'm going to back up a little bit into
1: verse 4. 1 Corinthians 8. This is about eat- food offered to idols. About eating food
0: offered to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God one. For even if there were other gods, whether in heaven or earth, and there are many gods and many idols, yet we know there is one God, the Father, and all things are from him, and we exist for him, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, and all things are through him, and we exist through him. Thank you, Brother Bill. Good morning, Church. And good morning, Dustin. I'm sure you've always wanted to say that too, right? Thank you so much for being here today. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter fifteen, and that's where we'll meet in just a few minutes. There's a story told about a young man named Zach and his dad. And they were out in the countryside and they were climbing rocks. And as Zach's dad tells the story, all of a sudden he heard, Hey, Dad, catch me. And he turns and looks, and Zach has jumped off a rock down to him. He jumps and then yells, Hey, Dad, catch me. And as the dad tells the story, he caught Zach, and they both fell from those rocks, and he hit the ground. And he said he couldn't, talk for a moment, but as he gathered his breath, in exasperation, he said, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? In a very calm, assuring voice, Zach said, sure, because you're my dad. You see, he trusted his dad no matter what happened. And isn't that the way we as Christians ought to be? We trust our Father no matter what. And I was thinking about that story, and I was thinking about the events of of last week and even last night. And though sometimes we don't understand why certain things happen, God wants us to trust Him. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to focus this morning on the parable of the prodigal son, or your Bible might say the lost son. And this is considered by many the finest story in all of Scripture and are all of the parables that Jesus taught. And in this parable, we learn several things, but really in the whole chapter 15 of the book of Luke, we learn several things. You see, the main purpose here is... Jesus was trying to teach the Pharisees specifically and the scribes and those other Jewish leaders and anybody else that would listen for that matter, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, look at Luke chapter 15 verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they complained saying, This man receives sinners And eats with them. You see, to the scribes and the Pharisees, it was incomprehensible that Jesus, a great teacher, would spend time with sinners and tax collectors. You see, in the context there, a sinner, it was a little bit different than maybe what we might think about. Sinners were uh, not only those that we would think about, but it was referring to those that were viewed as sinners by the world. The world viewed them as sinners. The world looked down on them and didn't want anything to have it to do with them. As well as the scribes and the Pharisees. These were the ones who, who had no one. The very people who uh, should be friending them and helping them and leading them uh, would have nothing to do. And that, that was the religious people, those scribes and those Pharisees. And so Jesus then tells them some parables to teach them a point. He tells the parable about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. You see, in chapter 15, notice in verse 7, this is the point that Jesus is trying to get across to these scribes and Pharisees and to anyone else that would listen. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And then he says it again in verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And keeping that in mind as we look at this parable, it's important what Jesus is trying to teach. But I want us to take another angle as we think about this morning, the parable of the prodigal son. I want us to look at the father. I want us to look at how the father responds to this prodigal son and in the end, to the older brother. Notice in Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me my portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. What is it? There's a lot of things that we can learn from that, but what is it we see about the father? in those few verses. I think one thing that we see about the Father and also about God is that the Father allows us. The Father allows His creation, all of mankind, to make a choice. He allows us to make our choices. You see, this young man, he came to his father and he asked this unusual request. Give me the portion of my goods, of goods that falls to me. The scribes and Pharisees listening to this story would have been surprised to hear a son ask such a request of a father. To them it would be an outrageous request. Someone has said this, explaining how they would have felt. It was disrespectful and expressed an extreme lack of love and gratitude to the One who had provided everything for Him. That would have been a sign of rebellion. Maybe that's another point Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees. It was a sign of rebellion. In their culture, that would have gone against the fifth commandment. You remember what it says? Honor your father and your mother. Someone else explains this way For a son to say such a thing to his father in that culture was tantamount to saying that he wished his father was dead. Since he was not entitled to the share of his inheritance, one-third of the estate, since his brother was the firstborn, uh, quoting, uh, looking back to Genesis 25 and Deuteronomy 21, while his father was still alive, since his father retained control and oversight of the estate as long as he lived, he stood in the way of his own selfish desires. That was from the perspective of the son. Normally a son who shamed himself by making such a request, would have been publicly shamed by the father, perhaps disinherited, or possibly even dismissed from the family and considered dead. But that's not what the father did, did he? The father didn't reprimand him. The father didn't uh, dismiss him from the family. Rather, the Bible says that the father divided to them His livelihood. He gave him his livelihood and let him make his choice. You see, giving him his livelihood meant that he gave all to his sons. Someone has said this encompasses here all that the previous generations of the family had produced and handed down to the current generation. So everything that had been handed down to that point... He divided it and gave it to His sons. He gave everything. He gave His sons everything and then He allowed them to make the choice as what to do with it. Isn't that interesting? That God the Father has created all things. He's created humans. And He said, Here it is. In the book of Genesis, I give all of this to you, you make the choice. Remember back in the Garden of Eden there in Genesis chapter 2? God gave that first choice and allowed man to make that choice. Chapter 2 and verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He gave them everything. And He gave them a choice. From the beginning, God has allowed His creation to make choices. But He does. He does give warning of the consequences of bad choices as well. Now, not only did the Son ask, make this unusual request... But the Bible says once he received his his part of the inheritance, he went to a far country. You see, what he's saying there is for a Jew, he went to a Gentile country. So not only is he asking this disrespectful question or request. He takes what he's given and he goes to a far Gentile country to live it up. Someone has said he wanted to sin beyond the range of all accountability. Far away from his father and the villagers who scorned him for his disgraceful behavior. His action symbolizes the foolishness of the sinner trying to flee from God to whom he does not want to be Answerable. Now in the New King James Version It says he went off and he spent this in prodigal living The King James Version would say Riotous living The English Standard Version says Reckless living So that gives us a kind of an idea Of how this guy went off And spent all of his inheritance Reckless living Now let your mind run wild To what reckless would be Probably anything that we could imagine that he would do with all of that money. By the way, it wouldn't have been the full full part of his inheritance. Just what, what money he could give him. Because the father really would have to die before he got everything, right? And so, what money that he had, he spent it recklessly. He wasted it on partying and living it up. And living a life of sin. And so one of the things that we learn from this parable about the Father is the Father allows us to make our choices. And He's always given us the warning of bad choices. But He still allows us, He still allows His creation to make choices. Their own choice about how to live life. But notice in the second place, verses 17 and following, notice what else the Father does. But when he came to himself, still speaking of the son, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, "'and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. "'Make me like one of your hired servants.'" And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, here's one thing interesting from this story about the father. The father allowed him to make his choice, but the father didn't chase him into the far country, did he? And the son always knew he could return. But what was the father doing? He was waiting. He wasn't waiting so he could say, now son, tell me, did you do this, this, and this? Well, if you did this, this, and this, guess what? You're out of here. He was waiting. He was waiting. And when he saw him, because he was watching, he ran and he kissed him and he hugged him and he had compassion on him. Another interesting thing about this young man is that the Bible said when he really decided it's time to go back home, what had happened? He came to Himself. Isn't it interesting that many times in life, we have to hit rock bottom before we realize we need help, before we realize we need the Father, right? And that's where the Son was. He had hit rock bottom in the way that He was living. You see, the reason is, is at the bottom is where we tend to let everything go. We tend to realize we've been chasing the wrong things and we let everything go and we're thinking clearly when He came to Himself. You see, it's in the midst of pain that can move us to action. But what was the Father doing? He was watching. Do you remember in 1990 that Bett Midler song that was released? entitled From a Distance. You see, in that song, she is calling for peace and hope. She is calling for men and women to be instruments of peace and hope and not war. And in that song, she reminds everyone that would listen to that song of this. God is watching us. Whether you're in the far country or whether you're on the premises... God is watching us. Whether you are in peace or whether you are living in war, God is watching us. What an awesome thought to know that God the Father is watching. He's waiting. What is He waiting on? For His creation to return to Him. Do you remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants. That's what God the Father wants for all of His creation. Didn't Jesus say, For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God the Father. Not the one waiting to strike us down and tell us all the things we've done wrong, but to wait for us to come in repentance back to Him. Can you just see it? The excitement of the Father. For a son who had gone off in a far country, had asked a disrespectful request, gone off and spent that in a far country, and he never asked him what he did, all he knew is that his son was returning home. And he was waiting and watching with compassion. God the Father still watches and He still waits for His creation that has gone to the far country to return to Him. But in His excitement, notice what the Father does next, verse 22. But the Father said to His servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What do we see the father did in his excitement? He celebrated. He celebrated that his lost son, that his son who was dead in the far country, had come home. Had asked for forgiveness. And repented. While the son is trying to say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, my father. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just let me be one of your hired servants because I want to be in your house because I know your house is far better than the far country. And while he was trying to repent, and while he was asking for forgiveness, the father didn't waste any time to show his excitement. Bring the best robe. And put it on him. Put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Let's have a celebration. Because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. As they were about to throw this big celebration, it's as if the father says, Listen, the robe, I want you to bring the robe that I normally would wear and I want you to put that robe on him I want you to get my signet ring and put it on his hand that says he's my part my son he's a part of my family I want you to put sandals on his feet because a slave can't wear sandals but a son can kill the fatted calf this was only done for special occasions and this was a special occasion and Jesus reminded these scribes and Pharisees, and anyone else listening, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But then finally, no notice the rest of the story. You know, if we stop that story right there, and a lot of times we do, we stop the story right there, oh, what a great story. What a great example of, of the Father. What a great example of God the Father. That old young son, boy, I tell you. He learned a great lesson, didn't he? But what about the rest of the story? Verse 26. So he called one of the servants. This is the older son. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, "'Your your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, "'your father has killed the fatted calf.'" But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Jesus was reminding those who remain true and faithful to God must also be careful how they react and how they accept those who return from the far country. You see, because it's possible to go away without ever leaving the premises. Are you with me? Jesus would say, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Someone has said, the older brother had some good qualities. He was not a rebel. He had not gone away from home. And his parents did not have to worry about where he was at night. He was not lazy. He had served his father faithfully for years. And he was in the field when his brother came home. He was not immoral. He was apparently against the fleshly sin. So he probably lived a clean moral life. Nevertheless, He had gone gone into his own distant country or sin without ever leaving home. Did you catch the response of the older son? I've done this and you've not done this for me. I've been faithful and you've not done this. Remember, it reminds me of the tax collector and the Pharisee story that Jesus told. The Pharisee talks about all the good things he had done. And the son says, "I've I've done this and I've done that. You haven't done this for me." But this guy goes off and he lives it up with prostitutes. And when he comes back, you throw a party. He was self righteous, judgmental, unforgiving, self centered, angry, rude to his father. He was a complainer. He was harsh. He was envious, and he was a joy killer. You see, the reality is it's not possible to come back from the far country whether we're physically in the far country or emotionally and spiritually in the far country. It's impossible to come back without leaving our pride. Proverbs 16 and verse 18, the Bible says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, it's important for us to count our blessings. It's important for us when, when people come from the far country seeking the Father, that we help them. That we show them compassion. That we show them love. And that we show them Jesus died for you. Jesus died so you can be a part of the family. Jesus died so you can spend eternity in heaven. You see, it's important for us to accept those who have returned, for God, for, returned to God. Even those who are still on the premises. That may mentally, emotionally, and spiritually be in the far country. You see, as we think about this parable of the prodigal son, the Father, He allows us to make our choices. But let us never forget. He's always watching. And he's always waiting to show compassion to the One who comes in repentance. And the Father, He's ready to celebrate that return. Let us also be that way. Let us be ready to celebrate that return of those who return to God the Father. To Jesus Christ, the Son. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been in the far country and you're ready to come home. Maybe you've been on the premises and you've been in the far country and you're ready to go, come home. This is what we want you to know. The Father's watching and He's waiting. And He's so ready for you to come home. He doesn't want any to perish, but at all, To come to repentance. If you have a need to respond to the Lord today, don't wait another moment. Come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing. Far far
1: away from God Now I'm coming home The paths of sin too long I've tried Lord, I'm coming home coming home, never more to roam, open wide thine arms of love, Lord I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years, now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming. Of love, Lord, I'm coming home. My soul is sick, my heart is sore. Now I'm coming home. My strength renew, my hope restore. Lord, I'm coming.